0: Today's reading may be found on page 1184 of the Pew Bibles, and is taken from Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. since, as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Colossians chapter 3 is widely regarded by Bible scholars as being one of the great chapters in the New Testament. The first few verses encourage us to let go of the world and to turn our focus onto Christ, to set our minds and our hearts towards heaven. And then it goes on to show us just how we can put that into practice. And last week, David guided us brilliantly through the first 11 verses of Colossians 3, And today, it's my privilege to take us on through verses 12 to 17. So, as we sit, let us pray together. Help us, Lord, today, our friend and our brother, to know you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly, day by day, and forevermore. Amen. There was a a question in David's uh, sermon last week, which he came back to more than once. And it was the question, what do we live for? And he drew that from verse 4 in Colossians 3, where it speaks about Christ, who is our life. So what do we live for? And he went on to encourage us to take hold of those words and make them our own. And I've got another question that I'd like us to think about, a question which I hope will get us, help us to get inside the message that Paul's giving in these verses. And my, here's my question. Who am I? Who am I? Now, there are lots of ways that we could answer that question. I could say, I know who I am. I am James Cook. That's my name. But then my son's name is also James Cook. And I have a nephew called James Cook. So which James Cook am I? Or some of us here might say, I know who I am. I'm English. But after last Monday's footballing disaster, that has suddenly become a seriously embarrassing way to own up to being English. I can't help wondering if there must be somewhere within me within my background, some Welsh ancestry that I could claim. <laughs> okay, so then let's try saying I'm British. On June the 23rd, many people in the United Kingdom felt that they had to choose between saying I'm British or I'm European, or that's, that's what some of them felt. And the majority opted for saying British, or at any rate, not European. And the events since then have also seriously eroded that sense of who we are. Do we think we're citizens of a country that, by and large, is uh, democratic, civilised, tolerant, with clear structures and good leadership? But a lot that seems to have happened over the past week has been swept away. A lot of that's gone in a week of political turmoil. Perhaps the most alarming thing, to my way of thinking, that's happened during the last few days has been the upsurge in xenophobic and racial abuse that's followed the referendum The police reported on Monday that there had been a 57% rise in hate crime complaints on the days between then and the uh, going back to the uh, Friday when the result was announced. Incidents typified by this one, a Sikh radiographer who was, was told by a patient, shouldn't you be on a plane back to Pakistan? We voted you out. And it's stories like these that have left a lot of people in this country, particularly young people, feeling ashamed to be British, ashamed that this country is now being perceived as racist in the world at large. And in the midst of all this confusion, the question comes back Who am I? And behind that question, there's another question Am I loved? On the international stage, it seems that Britain is not much loved. But what about on the personal level, in our own hearts and lives and relationships? If I'm not sure that I'm loved, then I won't really know how to behave, and I'll be desperate to try and impress you. In a crowd, I'll be worrying, do I fit in? Because I desperately want to be part of that group. And so the question, who am I, is often a cry to find out if there's anyone out there who really cares about me. If I'm not sure about that, then the danger is that my relationships will become dysfunctional. And that's why I'm going to read you some words which, if you really understand them and really believe them, will totally transform your life. Does that sound a bit over the top? Let me just say that again. I'm going to read you some words which if you really understand them and really believe them will totally transform your life. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and so on. And it's those words, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that I'd like us to think about. I wonder if you can see what that means and how that buys into our question, who am I? If I know who I am, God's chosen person, dearly loved, then it doesn't matter who I'm with. There's no need to try and impress them. I belong to God. I'm God's person, and I'm deeply loved. And if I know that I'm loved, that changes everything. There's no longer any need to get people to think highly of me, to encourage them to look up to me. I can be myself. And who I am is a much-loved child of God. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with all these qualities. Now that question, who am I, has got me thinking about some of those I am sayings that you hear often. I am what I do, says the person whose life revolves around their work. Or I am what I eat, says someone who lives for meal times. And I am what I wear, says the fashion-following shopaholic. But what was Paul actually talking about? Well, I think Paul would have had some sympathy with the person who says, I am what I wear. Look at these verses from last week's reading. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see, becoming a follower of Jesus is like changing your wardrobe. First of all, there's something to take off. Our old self and all its practices. But today, we're focusing on what we put on. And verse 10 is the key to that. Put on the new self, Paul tells us. And if we're going to do that, then the result will be that our inner life is going to be renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Those are extraordinary words. As we put on this new self, we gain a growing resemblance to the one who created us. I find that amazing. Praise God for that. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He wants us to know in more detail what sort of clothes we should be putting on. Most experts suspect that Paul was actually thinking about what happened at baptisms in those days. Now you know that they would take those who are going to be baptised down to the river and the baptiser would take the person into the, into the water, duck them under and then bring them up again. And uh, what would happen is that someone, would, uh, someone who's being baptised would first of all take off their old clothes uh, that they were wearing And then, after they came up from immersion in the water, they would be given a new set of clothes to wear, usually including a white robe to signify the purity of a person who's been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And that new life is going to be marked by putting on the qualities that we heard read in our reading this morning. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And Paul doesn't stop there. Bear with each other, he says, and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now those qualities that I've just quoted from our Bible reading today are in stark contrast to the lists that were in the previous reading last week. Lists about sexual immorality and abusive speech. Things that were typical in many families, villages and communities in those days. And even in some churches. And sadly, of course, it wasn't just typical of those days. We know them in our own day as well. But I wonder if those qualities that uh, we've just seen of compassion and kindness and so on don't sound a little bit soft. Perhaps the sort of things you might find a group of feeble people who can't stand up for themselves exhibiting. The Bible scholar Tom Wright fervently disagrees with that. Let me read you a little bit of what he says. Anyone who thinks Paul is describing a bunch of weak-willed, wimpish people without much to say for themselves doesn't know what they're talking about. Have you ever seriously tried to be compassionate and patient? Have you ever seriously tried to show love to someone who seems implacably opposed to you? Have you ever seriously Try to forgive someone who has wronged you. Maybe that last one is the hardest of all. The sense of resentment against someone who has done something wrong to us can spread like a cancer into other areas of our lives, affecting our thoughts and our behaviour and our relationships. And just as hard is saying sorry for what I've done to someone else or for what I've said to them. It can be humiliating. And the apology may not always be accepted. But these are the clothes that the Christian is being called to put on. So who am I? I am God's chosen person holy and dearly loved. And I'm encouraged by the fact that however badly I may have failed, I can rest in the knowledge that God loves me and has even chosen me to walk with him. Isn't that a huge motivation for us to go out and start trying to mend broken relationships? And Paul promises that as we start to do this, the peace of Christ will become more real in our lives. Now, you may think that's enough to get a Christian community to start living together in harmony. But Paul doesn't stop there. In the last verse in our reading, verse 17, this is what he said. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed... Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But what does it mean to do something in the name of Jesus? Generally speaking in the Bible, a person's name is a reflection, or meant to be a reflection of his character. So here it means doing as Jesus himself would do if he was in our place. I'd like us just to have a little think about that with a few concrete examples. I wonder what it would look like to drive in Jesus' name. If he was behind the wheel of our car, would the vehicle behave any differently from usual? How about doing the household chores in Jesus' name? How do I sweep the kitchen floor? Or do the weeding in the garden. Or wash up the dishes. I wonder how Jesus would do it if he was in my place. And how do I work in Jesus' name? Our jobs bring us into contact with all sorts of people in the course of a day. And sometimes we compete with our colleagues. But to work in Jesus' name will to mean treating them as people, finding out about their families, their interests, and their lives. I could go on. Can we watch television in Jesus' name? Or go shopping in Jesus' name? It begins to make my mind boggle. But it also helps me to see just how radical Paul's words are here. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's easy to miss the point because we we tend to divide up our lives, like a pie, into non-overlapping slices. But Paul's quite serious about what he's saying. He's not simply using spiritual-sounding language. He really means it. We're being invited to do life, all of our life, in the name of Jesus so we're God's chosen person we're holy and dearly loved but one last question how exactly do we clothe ourselves with all those qualities which will help us to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ there's another clue in one of other Paul's, one of our, another of Paul's letters you see this isn't the only place here in Colossians where he talks about clothing ourselves. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, he says there, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Two or three times recently, I've been to the hospital to visit people who are ill. I don't like hospitals very much. Perhaps because my medical knowledge stands very close to zero. So I arrive feeling uncomfortable, wondering if I've got anything anything of hope or comfort uh, to offer the person that I'm visiting. So as I walk through the entrance hall and make my way up to the ward, I invite Jesus to walk with me and to strengthen me. And in that sense, I clothe myself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that step, isn't it, of inviting him into our day. When I get up, when I move through the various activities that I'm doing, when I speak, when I listen, when I go to bed. These are all moments, opportunities for clothing myself afresh. I mentioned just then when I go to bed. Because as I get older... And sleep less well. I find it easy to lie awake worrying needlessly about anything and everything that pops into my head. And I found that this prayer which I'm going to read in a moment. This prayer which I I read last thing in the evening has become a real help to me. And I'd like to close therefore by reading it to you. It's my way of clothing myself. With the Lord Jesus Christ. Circle me, Lord. Keep protection near and danger afar. Circle me, Lord. Keep hope within. Keep doubt without. Circle me, Lord. Keep light near and darkness afar. Circle me, Lord. Keep peace within. Keep evil out. Amen.